Okay, good evening everyone. Thank you for joining Parsha in My Life. This should be the last Parsha in My Life class of the year 5782, and we're heading into 5783. However, I didn't, um, um, I'd like to do another class in preparation for 5783 and conclusion of 5782. Um, but that I haven't yet fully developed, and Ben Hashem, sometime later this week, I plan on doing that. Not sure exactly when, so look out for that class because I think it'll be hopefully very inspiring and very meaningful. This class is also a meaningful class, but just a, an interesting thought on also on the uniqueness of this year. I'm not uh, building it on this week's parsha. This week's parsha is Parshas Nitzavim but on something that, they, that this we're standing right now in a very unique time. If anybody wants to sponsor this year, of course, it's available for sponsorship. Put that out. Now, um, regarding the upcoming, the time that we're in right now, we all know we're at the conclusion of a Shemitah year, which means that the change, the dynamics of time that we're now shifting is literally an end of an era. And we're, ent- we're, we're entering a new era because time comes in, 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 in various different um, sections or slots of time. Seven-year period is a very significant period of time. So the conclusion of a seven-year period is incredible significant. So this Rosh Hashanah, it's not only a new energy of the new year coming to the world, it's a new entire seven-year period entering into the world. And being that the, the volatile state of creation, the volatile state of the world, the fast pace intensity of what we've seen in the last couple of years, we should be expecting, hopefully for great blessing, a very great cosmic shift. For that reason, it is the most opportune time and the most apropos time or or, or um, perfect time for the for us to affect the redemption, the final, complete and final redemption. And that's what I'd like to really talk about in the next class. Some suggestions, what, where, and when. Perhaps some inspiration regarding the uniqueness of the, up, the time that we're in, particularly regarding to Mashiach. Today, we'll talk about a unique approach to Rosh Hashanah and a unique opportunity that we have this year because it's a conclusion of a Shemitah year, of a sabbatical year, which gives us an enormous, incredible um great way and uh, a, a uh, what we might call an ex- a uh, to turn over a new chapter and a new page and start life fresh, optimistic, and full of renewed energy without carrying any of previous baggage that might have been weighing us down and hindering us from the past. This year, there is a great, great opportunity. And that is associated with the concept that um, when a person has um, any outstanding debt, the Shemitah year clears the debt. That's the rule. There's a Torah obligation that every seven, that the seven, that we count six years, the seventh year is Shemitah. It's not an individual count, it's a communal count has to do with the the, the, the the calendar. It has to do for when the Jewish people went into the land of Israel, counted 
after they settled the land, they started counting um, six years. The seventh year was Shemitah, known as the sabbatical year. Now, Shemitah has two primary areas of observance. One element of the Shemitah observance is that all land must lay foul, uh, they call it, what's the word, um, un, un, unworked. There's a word for it which I'm not uh, recalling right now. Um, you have to let the land go and let it, can't work, the farmers can't work their land. So all farm work, all work associated with um, with uh, agriculture and uh, things like that, one has to desist from any of that, and you're not allowed to do work. So it's a, it's a mini Shabbos. The whole year is like a mini Shabbos. Shabbos, we're not allowed to do any 39 creative types of work. But under Shemitah, we're not allowed to do specifically work associated with farm work, having to do with the, with, with working the, the fields, the land. And that applies only in the land of Israel. But then there is another mitzvah pertaining to Shemitah, and that is that all debt that was not collected before the Shemitah year is wiped away clean, and the collector, the uh, the uh, creditor, cannot come after those who who owe once the Shemitah comes. So Shemitah clears all debt. That's the rule. Now, obviously, when a person borrowed the money, uh, it is only right, correct, and uh, decent and moral and ethical for the borrower to make sure that they pay up their debt before the Shemitah comes. God, Hashem doesn't want us to play monkey business over here, to borrow money from people and run away with their money. However, for whatever reason, it's God's will that a seven year after seven year passes, the the the, the thing is clean. I think uh, maybe this has passed on to um, the laws we find over here too, that uh, things that are, I think debts in the United States of America on the credit scores, debts that have already not been collected for seven years, don't necessarily show up on your credit. On your credit, that could be maybe it's. I think it's seven years. I think once you, if you're older, you didn't pay a bill or whatever it is, and then seven years have passed. It's no more a stain on the credit on the credit report. That's what I think. Could be it's uh, somehow related to this. But this is the rule. The Torah even warns a person, so much so, to say that if someone comes to um, ask for a loan, if a person is looking for, this person needs help, they're not looking for tzedakah, they're not looking for charity, they need a loan, for whatever reason it is, um, the lender may not consider the fact that Shemitah is coming next year, or in a couple of months, the Shemitah is going to arrive, and the debt is not, therefore going to be annulled, and the person will never pay me back. The Torah warns a person, do not do that. Extend your kindness and good-heartedness to your, to your friend, to your neighbor, to your brother, and lend them the money when they need the loan. And don't worry, God will take care of it. You should not consider this. But that's the rule. The rule is you owe money, then you don't owe the money anymore once the Shemitah has passed. Now, 
there's two very important rules regarding Tishmita. And that is as follows. Number one, when are the Talmud debates, when does the Shemitah clear the debt? Is it in the beginning of the Shemitah? That would mean this past, a year ago, Rosh Hashanah, as soon as the year Shemitah entered, and that itself clears cleared the debt. Or is the debt or is Shemitah, the sabbatical year, does it annul the debts only at the last moment of the Shemitah? That means during the year of Shemitah itself, the collector, the creditor can still come and collect the debt. And the final conclusion is that Shemitah annuls the debts at the very last minute of Shemitah. On the very last day, as it's becoming, as it's ready to sundown, as the sun is setting on the last day of the year, and within minutes, it's going to be Rosh Hashanah. So it's at that moment that delete all debts are clear. Shemitah is Meshametes, in the words of the sages, Shemitah, the debts are cleared Bisofo in the end of the year. So according to that, we're looking towards a very intense moment coming up next week, Sunday afternoon. As sun goes down, as it's nearing, I don't know, over here in Los Angeles, it'll probably be about 6.30ish. The sun is setting. Um, so a moment before sundown, that's the moment of the clear, of all of the debt being cleared. So that's very one very important rule which we're going to discuss tonight. And here comes the second one. The sages instituted a, a, a safety net for the lenders. Because the sages saw in the time of the second temple that many, many lenders were not lending money to those who needed. It was hard to secure a loan because they really were afraid that people are taking loans and intentionally not paying them back because they're relying on the Shemitah coming on the sabbatical year to clear the debt. And therefore, people are not giving loans. And what's happening is it's actually making a bigger problem to the to the to those who need the loans. They can't secure a loan. The lenders are turning them away. And two things are happening. People who need the loans are not getting the loans. And number two, the lenders are violating a biblical commandment. The biblical commandment says explicitly that you should not consider the fact that the borrower might not pay back the loan. And if you're doing and if you do consider that fact and therefore withhold and don't give him the loan, then the lender is in violation of a, of a commandment. So two things are happening. The those who needed the money weren't getting them. And much needed help was not extended to those who needed it. And then on the other hand, there was also a great sin being committed by so many people who had the means, but were not helping the other people with loans because they were afraid they would not get the money back. So the sages had a dilemma. And they came up and instituted a concept called prusible. What is prusible? Prusible is a certain document which every lender can sign, can write, 
but he has to do it before the conclusion of the Shemitah year. So this would be the time of the year, a week before Rosh Hashanah, when all the lenders would scramble to make sure they write a prism. Was, is a Aramaic word, but the idea of it is the person, the lender is saying, I am giving over the right to collect this loan to the court. I'm handing it over to the court. It's no more my business. It's becoming the court's business. By doing that, it's as if you don't own the loan anymore, like a note. Someone owes you money, you have a note. You can sell that note. Person can give a note to someone else. Say, I have the right. Let's say someone is strapped for cash. Someone owes them a million dollars, supposed to pay them back in two years. They need the money now. So perhaps someone buys the note for them, let's say for 700,000. They get that money. The person then later in two years from now is going to get back the full million. And it's worth it for them. They kind of take the risk. And, and uh, they got the, they, they, uh, they get a million, they make 300,000 on this note, whatever, giving an example. A person can sell a note. Just like you can sell a note, you can gift it. In this case, the people, the lender, are, the lender is taking their note and they're giving it over to the Jewish court. Now the Jewish court owns the debt. Obviously, the Jewish court doesn't need the money and they're not thinking of keeping the money. They are going to be those who are going to collect the debt and then they are the ones who are going to give that debt the money that they're going to collect back to the to the owner. What's the benefit of giving it over to the court? The benefit of giving it over to the court is that the prohibition, the, the law that all debts are cleared only applies to a private debt. If you owe the money to a to a community bank, if you owe the money to the court, and the court is a representative of the Jewish people, it's not an individual personal pocket that you owe the money to, then the, then the sabbatical year, the Shemitah year, does not clear, clear the debt. And the debt remains in force, and sundown can come of Rosh Hashanah of the eighth year, the conclusion of the Shemitah year. You enter into the eighth year, and the person still owes the money. That's the concept. So the rabbis instituted it, even though it goes against the spirit of the law of Shemitah, which is supposed to clear the debts. But they understood that the gain of the clearing of all debt is out, is, 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 um, is, le- is um, less than the gain that we have that, pe- that people can get loans. Well, even for the poor people, or for those who need it alone, it is more beneficial for them to be able to get a loan when they need it, even after always have to pay it back, and will not be able to, you know, annul their debt with the shemitah. And this is what happened. And once Hila was the one who instituted this, the prusbel, this became the custom amongst the Jewish people. Everybody at the conclusion of the shemitah writes a prusbel. So, for instance, myself or all. Many people, who no one owes them any money. Let's say no one owes you money. You still write the prismal. It's a custom. We do it on Erev Rosh Hashanah. We actually do it twice. We do it Erev Rosh Hashanah last year, the year going into the Shemitah. And we do it, but this is the main one. 
the era of Rosh Hashanah, the day before Rosh Hashanah, um, before the conclusion of the Shemitah, this is the main principle where people write this. You know, we, we don't even write it. It's enough if you declare it in front of a court. So there's no long lines in front of a court. What happens in a shul, in all Jewish synagogues on Erev, on Erev, on, on Erev Rosh Hashanah, anyways, in every shul, people sit down together with a group of people to annul all vows. The sin of, of having a vow and not keeping it is very, very serious. Before Rosh Hashanah, we want to annul a vow. Just in case. Sometimes people take vows and they don't even remember that they took a vow. Sometimes, you know, people go have an aliyah and they pledged by the Sefer Torah. They're going to give a gift. They, you know, to give a special blessing by the Torah. They're going to give a gift to the synagogue. And then they leave and they forget. And they never send $18 to the shul. They should. But they don't. They forget. That's a vow. Uh, or many other things. person says, I am going to study this year, you know, all this. And then they get busy and they don't get to study it. It's a vow. person should always be careful saying, Beli neder, but we're afraid that sometimes we make commitments and vows and we did not say Beli neder, which means without a vow. So what we do is on Erev Rosh Hashanah, people sit down and we form courts. The courts are made, some some synagogues do it with, meaning with groups of three. Other Other places... The Chabad Minog is to have actually 10 people sitting together, constitutes a full quorum and a Beisdin. And in front of these people, we annul the vows. We do this every year on Erev Rosh Hashanah. On the year of Shemitah, after you annul your vows, you also declare that you are making a, a prusbal. And what you're basically doing is you're saying, I am giving over to this court that's sitting over here the right to all, to all my loans, whatever I owe, that I should be able to re- to to uh, collect them whenever I wish. But technically, the court is not going to be the one to collect it. The person himself collects it. But it's a technical it's a technical loophole. You know, a lot of times in law, there's a technical loophole that if you do that, you don't have to pay this tax, or you don't have to do so and so. This is a technical loophole in the laws of shemitah. If you give it over to the court, then you're allowed to collect it even after. Collection time is over. So this became the custom, and therefore, for all practical purposes, this whole mitzvah of the annulment of debts doesn't really have much effect these days because people do the prusbal. Unless the person forgets a prusbal, then yeah, then you don't have to pay the debt if you owe the person money. They, they have no right. It's still a mitzvah to pay it, even though they have no right to collect it, but they can't by Torah force, if the person didn't make a, pr- a prusbal, they have no legal right. I mean, obviously, they can uh, try to get the money out in a, in a, in a, in a secular court. But in, 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 a, in a Torah based in, in a Torah law, they can't get their money. That's the idea. Okay. Now we understand this is all, this is all a financial discussion, a Talmudic discussion regarding finances, loaning, and so forth. But this also has tremendous, tremendous spiritual uh, application. Because we know that every law in Torah begins in the spiritual realms. And from the spiritual, it, it translates and evolves into a physical commandment. Which means that, that the very law exists in a higher sphere. And in a more abstract state. And so higher and higher and higher. That is true about every mitzvah and of every law in Torah, including this law. So what 
what is the significance of this to us? Here is the idea. We are all borrowers. Every single one of us has taken a loan. And we are continuously being given loans. What's the loan? Hashem, God Almighty, is giving us all kinds of stuff. And whatever he's giving to us is as a loan. It gives us gifts. But God doesn't want to give us just pure gifts. Hashem could give us a gift. But God doesn't want to give us just a pure, pure gift. A pure gift means that there is no strings attached. That there is no expectations in return. There is no, there is no payback. God loves us to pieces. Of course he could give us loans. Sorry, of course he can give us gifts. And give us all the gifts of life. Which include life, good health, children, sustenance, wealth. All the blessings that we, that, that we all have. That God and Hashem should give everybody. God could give it all as a gift. Based on the love that he loves us. But because he loves us a little bit more than we think he loves us. It's for that reason that he does not give us a gift. Because on the ultimate deepest inner state of a person's mind, if you're just a taker and you're not a giver, it causes a very deep, deep, deep inner erosion. You're not satisfied. We're not satisfied if we don't provide. If we're just receiving and we're not providing, it's very, very unhealthy to our psyche. On a very deep level, of course, momentarily it feels good feels good to get gifts. But a person must be an influencer. A person must contribute. We're built that way. Our, you know, the company settings that God set us when he created and manufactured us as human beings, God created us with the need to contribute and to give. Especially when we are given certain resources, we have an, a, a deep inner understanding and a, and, and, and a value, an internal sense of, of, of duty to, to, to make something of this that which was given to us to contribute to life, not just take from life, but to contribute to life. If we receive and receive and receive and don't give back, we feel deeply, deeply unsatisfied. And that's not healthy physically, definitely not emotionally and psychologically. There's nothing that feels as good as knowing that you contributed and you made a difference. It's for that reason that God set up his system. That whatever he gives us, he wants you to pay it back. Now the pay, the payment system, now what do we find that? It's a Mishnah. It's a it's a um, it's a Mishnah in Ethics of the Fathers, in the end of the third chapter, Mishnah Tezayan. The Mishnah is the 16th Mishnah, not all the way at the end, but close to the end of the third chapter of Ethics of the Fathers. It says over here that a teaching of Rabbi Akiva, okay? Rabbi Akiva, one of the greatest Jewish sages. He would say, everything is given on collateral. And a net is spread over all the living. That means... You can't run away to Barbados. You understand? The, the net is everywhere. <laughs> There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. Whatever is given to you is recorded, as he's going to say. But he has a beautiful words of Rabbi Akiva, but they're, they're a little chilling. Hachanis, psucha. The shop is open. 
What's the shop? This is the biggest, biggest, biggest Home Depot there is in the world. Okay? Because it sells literally everything. Biggest Walmart. Life, health, children, wealth, everything. It's all there. All the needs of a human being. Down to your toothbrush. Your pillow. Everything. Q-tips. I don't know. Whatever you use. Floss. (laughs) Every little detail and sub-detail. Everything is in that shop. And here's the deal. You can buy on credit. You don't have to pay cash on the spot. The shopkeeper extends credit. So we know who the shopkeeper is. The shopkeeper is God Almighty himself. He extends credit. The ledger is open. But that means that every single thing, you know, today's days they have these markets, Amazon markets, where you can just walk in. I love them. I haven't been to an Amazon market, but I have been in the airport, uh, at least in, um, in, New, in, in New York, and I know in Newark and maybe in Kennedy, where they have these, uh, these, if you, if you, if you, uh, these, these little markets place. They sell, I like them because they sell kosher sandwiches. If you ever get to the airport late, you can get kosher, you can get kosher food in these. I think they're called SIBO, S-I-B-O. I don't know how they pronounce it. Those markets have kosher food. Usually you go to the airports, there's only non-kosher food. But if you didn't get a chance to take yourself as something along and you're hungry, so you can always catch a kosher food. You have to look which, not all SIBO sandwiches are kosher, but there are those that have a special kosher symbol. Kosher, fine. So it's cool because you go in, you put your car- there, you put your credit card down first. And then you walk and it has sensors. You walk in the store, you take whatever you want, you just walk out. And it just charges your card automatically where all the items that you took. So it's digitalized. So so it is in the heavenly thing. It, it scans everything instantly. The ledger is open and there's nothing that we take in life, even one breath of air that is not of oxygen, that is not recorded up that it was given to us. God gave us oxygen. He gives us all the other goodies that we need. He says, the ledger is open and the hand is writing. And some digital hand, or God's hand or whatever it is. This is beautiful. They don't have too much of a, you know, um, up there, they don't have too much of a um, screening system. Or every human being in the world, anybody that wants to come and borrow, wants to come take on credit, can come. Doors are open. Come in, help yourself, walk out. There's no such a thing as a shoplifter. Because anything you go and you take, it's scanned and it's recorded on the ledger. And each, uh, what happens, uh, the collectors make their rounds regularly each day to check out, you know. And then it says how they make the payment. They don't make the payment. There it says uh, they, they, they exact payment from man with or without his knowledge. You know, if you know you owe, you don't know, they're always coming to collect. They have on what to rely because they, the, the, they have the ledger. They have the account open. Anyways, and the judgment is a judgment of truth. Fine. This is the source for this idea that 
everything that we have in life is given to us. God gives us life, and there has to be one day we have to pay back. Now, what's the payment? So the payment works as follows. It, it's, it, it's measure for measure. This is the way God works. What he gives you, he expects you to repay him back with that very thing that he gives you. So, for instance, if God gives you wealth, if that's what you're taking, that's, that's, that's what you're, is destined for, for your soul that you're picking up in this massive shop at all, and you're shopping for wealth, and you're getting wealth, and you thank God I have a beautiful, nice, hefty bank account with a lot of money over there. So the payment that God wants in return is that you should do charitable acts. Further God's interest in this world with your money. Not a little bit, a lot. So the recommended amount minimum that a person is supposed to give a tzedakah is 10%, miser, 10% of our earnings. However, the recommended amount, that's the basic, that's the minimum. That's tithing. But the recommended amount is 20%. A fifth of your wealth should go towards charity. When you do that and a person takes their wealth and a fifth of it, which is 20%, is going back towards God's causes in this world. It can be to poor people. It can be to support uh, a yeshiva, a Torah study place. It can be support all kinds of good programs, taking care of less fortunate, whatever it is. Supporting good things in this world. As a result of that, you are now making your payments, paying back your debt. God doesn't want the entire 100% back. He gave it to you to keep it. You should use your monies. You can use it. Support yourself. Support your family. Take care of yourself. Sometimes even have a, a beautiful time, a nice time. Enjoy the goods that God gives us. God wants us to enjoy it. But he does want some back. And that's the payment in which one has to give back tzedakah. When God gives a person children, so that's also a gift. Sadly, some people don't have children. Even if they want children, they do whatever they can. They can't bring a child into the world. God should bless everybody that wants to have a child to be able to have that child. Some people but didn't merit that blessing. If God gives you children, then the payment to God is that you educate those children to go in God's ways. You teach them moralities, you teach them ethics, and you teach them how to be good, God-fearing people, serving Hashem, loving Hashem, inspired human beings that will continue furthering holiness in this world. That's God's payment he wants from the children. That you should pay him with your children to give him, just like you want to have your own nachas from your children, Hashem also wants to have nachas satisfaction from your children. So if you educate and you invest in your children to grow up the, the way uh, the good people, then that's the payment when it comes to children. And then there is the, when it comes to life, just longevity. Thank God you're alive, you're living. What does God want back from just giving us time? When God gives us time, what does God want days to live and years and more years and more years to live what it really means is he's giving us time god wants us to treat that time with value and that every single day that we have we should cherish and we should recognize that there is something special i need to do in this day 
You shouldn't cheat, treat the time cheaply. That, that it's nothing, okay. So what did I do? What did I contribute to the world? What kind of godly thing did I do? Did I study Torah? Did I increase? Did I connect to Hashem through His Torah and through His mitzvot to do something special? No. I'm just lazying around and wasting hours and time doing nothing. That's squandering the gift that God gave. If God gave us time, Shem wants us to make the, up with the time. Now the times are always changing, which means the times of the year, different mitzvahs. For example, the time that we have now, the month of Elul, especially the last couple of days in the month of Elul, the, t- the time well spent is doing teshuva, doing some soul searching, saying extra psalms, extra prayer, praying with more intention, being more vigilant about our thoughts, about our actions, doing an accounting, about which areas of life we can improve, setting goals for next year. This is the time that we do now. Other times of the year, we have other types of service that we fill the time with. And then there is, of course, the general mitzvahs that apply all the time, like Torah studies, uh, something we should be doing all the time. But there are unique things that we do. Hanukkah, we're supposed to light up the world with brightness, with hope. Share the menorah with other people, make Hanukkah parties, invite people, inspire people, so on. All the unique er- times of the year in which we spend doing whichever God. So when we treat the time with respect and as a gift of God, then we are paying back God for the time that he's giving us. So this is the premise. Meaning, it's not, re- it's not a free gift. There is a expectation for return on our part but here comes the bummer what's the bummer the bummer is we all know that we're that if we have been paying back we are not paying back sufficiently no one can raise their hand and say you know i've used all my time besides if you're a very big tzaddik very few people i've used every moment of my time mindfully I've used always, I'm always, every time I have money, I'm always so meticulous to always give all the tzedakah that I can to the full, to my fullest ability. That I, I've, I, 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 that I, I, I'm so involved in the education of my children and I'm so engaged and involved that they, to direct them, to inspire them, to be the best they can be and the best God expects of them to be as much as I as a parent can influence. Who can say that they have met the expectations of above? So we all realize that we have outstanding debt. Right? We all realize we have outstanding debt. And as time passes and we don't pay back, the debt collects. And it starts becoming a bigger debt and a bigger debt and a bigger debt. And it's not good to owe, to owe God back. It's not good to carry a big, 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 big amount of debt. It's not good for us, obviously. It's not good for us in terms of our relationship with Hashem. It's definitely not good for us psychologically and emotionally when we're carrying all this this weight of knowing that I, I I'm not fulfilling my purpose in this world. I'm not paying back. I'm not paying back, and it 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 causes us to become kind of bogged down by the knowledge of the past of a wasted past. Or wasted opportunities. So even if we're doing things correct now, there's always the understanding that there was so much time in my life that I was taking lightly and I wasn't doing with my life what I should be doing. So the debt is not such a good thing. So here comes the beautiful mitzvah of Shemitah. 
God set up the system that every seven years, when you, all debt is cleared. And guess what? It applies to God as well. God is the lender. We are the borrowers. And God keeps the Torah. So whenever the Shemitah comes, all debt is erased. We don't owe. It's as if you as if you don't owe anything. Your slate is clean. You're starting all over again. That's such good news. But let's understand that a little better. It doesn't mean when we say spiritually, it doesn't mean the seventh year. It means the. It means yeah. It means the seventh year. But it means the seventh year if we're tuning into the concept of the seventh year. In other words, we have to really be living in the Shemitah year, in the Shemitah experience to gain forgiveness for the dead. So just by passing through this time doesn't bring us forgiveness of the dead. It requires that we enter into the Shemitah year. We live Shemitah dig. We live in the Shemitah experience. What does it mean to live in the Shemitah experience? What is the Shemitah experience? So remember in the beginning of the class, I said Shemitah has two parts to it. One of them is forgiveness of loans. The other one is that the farmers desist or deact or disengage from their work with the land. So really, these two mitzvahs are connected. On the spiritual plane, these two mitzvahs are connected one to each other. And even on the physical plane, because the way the Torah puts it, the, the Torah first talks about the disengagement of the farm work, and then the Torah adds on that you also have to, um, you can't collect that. So you see how the two are inter interwined one with each other. So the spiritual meaning means as follows. In order to gain forgiveness of the debt that we owe God and everybody owes God, and in order to get a clean slate, total, you know, this Rosh Hashanah to receive a note from God, you, your balance is zero. Imagine receiving that spiritually from Hashem, a zero balance. You don't owe anything. So how do you secure that? So you have to enter into Shemitah consciousness. So what's Shemitah? If we were living in Shemitah, then we're forgiven. What is Shemitah? Shemitah means disengagement from farm work, which means working the earth. So what does spiritually mean working the earth? Working the earth means to be completely invested in materialism. Materialism, material pursuits, enjoyments, pleasures, delights, living a very, 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 what do they call it, um, uh, hedonistic life. No purpose, no meaning, just the physical enjoyments and pleasures. Running from party to party. Looking for just indulgences in food and all kinds of other forms of entertainment. Which sadly happens to us because we are physical. And sometimes our physical side becomes a little bit more dominant in our lives. And that means we become workers of the earth we become enslaved to the earth earth is swallowing us up instead of thinking about the sky thinking about heavenly matters spiritual matters purpose of life meaning of life thinking about what kind of betterment you can do for humanity and for the entire world instead of being so stuck up with ego and self so the seventh year hashem says you have an entire year where I want you 
to be more involved in the spiritual world. Spend more time in the shul. That's one of the reasons for Shemitah. Literally, God tells all the farmers in Israel, shut down your tractors, you know, wash your hands, take off your farm clothing, and go to yeshiva, go to the study hall, sit down and learn for a year. All day long, come. You'll pray, you'll learn, you'll study, you'll inspire your soul. You'll enrich yourself with enormous spiritual energy. So then when you go back for the seven years, for the next period of six years of work in the field, in the land, you will not forget about me. You will be so um, permeated with, 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 with divine knowledge and divine consciousness that it won't wear off even while you're working in your farm. You'll remain a spiritual being even when you're a farmer. But for that, you have to take a break every seven year, every six years. So the seventh year is the is the break. So what happens if we're not a farmer? We still have to keep the shmita. We don't keep it physically, but we keep meaning we don't keep it in the physical halachic way, but psychologically, conceptually, this past year that we had was supposed to be a year for all of us to be on a more heightened spiritual state, being less entrenched in earthiness being more invested in spiritual matters. When we've passed, so you'll ask me, why didn't I tell you this in the beginning of the year? Okay, I'm guilty. <laughs> because I only saw this teaching a few weeks ago. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you just a little, a little, a little, uh, we'll do a little, uh, a little, um, uh, what is it called? Um, parenthetical just thing about this class. Where did this come to me? I think I was on a flight on the way home from San, from San Francisco. Now, I, I just went there last week, but a few, Gimel Thomas time, a couple of two months ago. And on the flight, for some reason, I don't know why, I took out my phone and I have a Rebbe app. And I hit the app and I, I hit the, he chooses a random letter. And I opened the letter, I think it was then. And the random letter was saying, the Rebbe was writing to someone about about something before Rosh Hashanah. And he said, I hope you got a chance to learn this and this talk that I said at the last Fabrengen regarding Shemitah. And he points to him. So I figured that was a message to me. So I right away came over here when I got here. I took out that book and I read it. I said, wow, this is such a powerful idea. I have to share it. Hopefully, the first thing I think I have to share it, but maybe I should, I, I have to first, first absorb it for myself, but also share it and teach it with others. And it's interesting, on that year, now, when did the Rebbe say this? He said it in 1952. 1952 was also a sabbatical year. And at the conclusion of that year, he, he said this talk, and he instructed all his emissaries, all the Chabad boys, and they should go to all the shuls, and this is the teaching they should teach at the end of the Shemitah year. So I just saw it recently, so I'm giving you the, the, the uh, for that reason, I didn't share this thought with you at the beginning. At the beginning of the year, it became known to me only recently. In any case, when we keep the Shemitah and we put ourselves into that state and we become more spiritual in this, in this sabbatical year, then we're living in the Shemitah zone. And when we're in the Shemitah zone, God sends us a clean ledger this rush on, 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 and tell us that we have a, a zero balance and everything is paid up. Doesn't mean we paid the debt, but we're forgiven the debt as if we paid. And he doesn't send any more for collection. 
Obviously, it doesn't mean you're scot-free. It means that from now on, we should live our lives thinking more about payback, and we don't build up such a large amount of debt. We keep on paying, make payments. <laughs> if we make the payments daily, we're in a much better shape. Like everybody knows, you learn the hard way when it comes to credit cards. You know, if you, take, if you have a credit card, you pay it every single month. You start letting the accumulative debt to go, it, it kills you. You have to pay the, pay the, you know, the credit cards have to be paid immediately. And the same it's with Hashem. If we pay the debts, the way, the, the real way to do it is every night before we go to sleep at night, there is a special Shema, the bedtime Shema. And that's when we're supposed to do a little reckoning of the day. And that's when we're supposed to make sure that we paid back. And if, if today was not so good, tomorrow we have to try extra hard. And every Erev Shabbos, which means every Friday, you're supposed to take a few minutes to think about the past week. How did I do this week? And if you feel that was a little bit of a, a loose week, you make a resolve that next week will be extra because you have to add also for the week before. And every, the Erev Rosh Chodesh, which means the day before the new month, it's, it's called a small Yom Kippur. We're supposed to take it. Imagine sitting down a half an hour before the end of the day, before the new month, thinking, how was this month? Did I do something special this month? Can I even recall anything? Did I start a new project? Did I invest myself? Or did I keep to old stuff? Was I a little lax? Or maybe did I increase? So if I was alive this month, what did God get from me extra this month? When we constantly make these, these calculations, we keep the balance low. If we just go through mindlessly and we don't keep the balance low, it piles up. But the beautiful thing about Shemitah is that if we're living in the Shemitah zone, God forgives us, even if it's a huge debt. A lifetime of debt is forgiven on the Shemitah. We get a clear balance. Okay? But don't leave the class yet. Because here's really the problem. Because you're going to argue to me and say, well, you're telling me now. I know you didn't know about this till now, but what good is this good information? It's already almost the end of Shemitah. We have a week left. And I had a whole year. If I would have only had this information at the beginning of the year, I would have made sure that this year I shouldn't be an earthy person working the land. For this year, I would spend, I would have spent on a much higher, with, with a higher spiritual aspirations. Would have prayed extra, give more to, you know, lived in a higher world. But you're telling me now, what good is that now? So the Rebbe says, the good news, Shemitah clears the debt. At the last moment. So if we still have a week left, that's exactly what we should be doing over the next week. You have a week left. Today is a little less than a week. Today is already Monday. Rosh Hashanah starts Sunday night. There's six days left, six full days. How about the next six days? We devote ourselves, all of us together, to be more spiritual. Less engaged with our physical bodies, more engaged with our soul. Thousands of hours of Torah classes. Take every day, study a Thursday night class online. In the past classes that give you three hours worth of incredible spiritual information. Say Psalms. I'm giving you ideas. I'm talking about myself too. Study, learn. Forget the bag of potato chips for a week. Put ourselves into something higher, deeper, more meaningful. Invest more in prayer in the mincha, the afternoon service, than decorating, you know, lunch. Think about higher things. So we have a week. The good news is that when God sees 
you're in a Shemitah state, it's mainly at the end of the Shemitah. However, all of that works, but here there's a here there's a here there's a problem. Because we know that in heaven there is besides God, who is the one who's the real the real um wealthy one, if you can say, who is the one who's extending the loans, is giving out to everybody everything. There is also a court system. And that's called the heavenly court. And they're the ones who sit on Rosh Hashanah and inspect everything together with God. But there is a court. It's a whole system. And what is the rule? The rule is that when you give over your credit to the court, your debt, when when someone who is the creditor gives the, the debts owned to them, the notes over to the court, then the court can collect even if it's past Shemitah. Which means that interferes with the clean, clear balance that we're all hoping for. So here's our dilemma. If this would all be good if we're dealing with God one-on-one, but if we have to deal with the courthouses above, if the great court of so-and-so is summoning us and sends us a notice... And says you're inspected, you're expected to come in on this and this day to clear your debts. That's a problem. Because that's the rule. Again, God follows all the rules. If the if the notes are being held by the court, that overrides the exemption of the seventh year. And then the collections can happen even past the due date. So even if we take the next week and we will do everything we need to do, we still have a problem. So how do we circumvent this problem? So the Rebbe gives an incredible idea. The Rebbe says you got to make sure that your correspondence on Rosh Hashanah is not with the heavenly courts. You don't want to deal with them. You want to deal only with God. You want to make sure that your notes are being held by God and not by any court. In the prayers, actually, King David says, I want my judgment should go out from you, God Almighty. Your eyes, you see correctly, because you can see what's inside my heart and the deepest, deepest point of my being. You can see my sincerity, how I want to serve you. The courts. I don't trust them, King David says. I want it to be in front of you, but there is a system. So how do we affect that the notes that we owe, all that ledger, the question is who's holding the ledger? Is the court holding the ledger or is God himself holding the ledger? So the Rebbe gives us, halachically, based on halacha, the Rebbe gives us, gives us the advice of how to secure that this year Rosh Hashanah, the only one who's going to be opening up your books and checking what's happening is God Almighty himself and not any of the appointed judges that are there, angelic beings, righteous tzaddikim, whoever are a part of the judge the judge system. Above. You don't want it to be by any of them. You want it to be directly by Hashem. How do you make sure? So the rule of that is, the Rebbe says, is it works as follows. Measure for measure. 
it measure for measure. There is a system. If we hear this really well, this is really incredible. There is a system. The way God set up the system of the cosmos. This spiritual system has a whole system of, a, of courts. Many courts. And they're in charge of collecting debt and everything else. Everything goes through the court system. As long as we remain within the system, we're stuck in the courts. Let me wait till the siren passes here a minute. The way to move out of the courts is that we have to move out of the system. How do you move out of the system? When we ourselves step out of our own system, which means like this. If we are in our own service of God, trying to follow the book and fulfill our obligations, that's that's our motto of service. I know there's expectations, the do's, the don'ts. I do and I check it off. Check, do my checkoff list, and I say, I've done everything that was expected of me. That's, ter- that's terrific. That's what I did my mincha, I did my chakras, I did my uh, uh, Torah study, whether it's chitas or some other study you do, Rambam, uh, Dafayomi, Chakli uh, Yisrael, whatever, whatever your learning is. I've done that, check it off. I've given my tzedakah. How much tzedakah did I have to give? I make my, I, 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 I crunch the numbers. I know exactly how much a tenth is. I'll give extra. I give even 20%. I'm extra good. So check it off. Check, 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 check. With my children, I did my you know, 15-minute homework with them. Took care of that as well. Check it off. So that's wonderful. You're, you're perfect, impeccable. Problem is you're still within the system. If you're within the system, you're going to be handled by the system. Handled by the system, as we said before. Then the notes are in the courts, and if the notes are in the courts, then the debt is not wiped out. However, if a person's connection to God is so personal, and in your Jewishness and in your divine service, it's not about being good and about being right and about being correct and about fulfilling your our obligations based on what the law requires, but a person goes, as the sages refer to it, we go beyond the measure of the law, which means that our love for God is so intense and so powerful. We don't care what the measurement is. So I'm learning Torah, not because I enjoy the Torah, the knowledge when I study Torah, because I, I like the knowledge of the Torah, or because um, I want to show everybody that, that I know a lot, or because or because even because I, I learned Torah, so I should know how to how to how to live my life as a Jew. This is all still remaining within the, the framework of of the system of life. I learned Torah because I want to bond with God. I love you, God. And you'll say, well, I can't come to that. That's like, no, we can all do that because that's the truth. The truth of our inner deepest soul is that we want to be, we love Hashem, we love God with a boundless, infinite love. Could be it's blah. So we work a little bit to uncover it. But when we're learning Torah is because we want to unify with Hashem's infinite wisdom. We love Him so much. We just want to be, we're so driven to connect to Him. 
when that's the matter of your Torah study, then it's not about the system. What system? It's not inside this. It's about Hashem. I'm into you, God. I'm not into being right, being good. I'm just into my relationship with you. I want to engage with you, God. And when it comes to charity, it's not sitting there and and picking and trying to figure out that I give exactly, oh, maybe I'll fulfill my obligation. Okay, so now two minutes later, someone comes knocking on the door and they need help. I forget it. I'm sorry, today's not your lucky day because I was extra good today. I gave a, I gave ten percent already. You're sorry. You would you would be already nine percent. I, I'm sorry. You would be already eleven percent of my beyond my miser. Don't have any more, more funds for you because it's over. Oh no! Not only that. I'm I not only that. I gave twenty percent. You're already. If I give you, I'm giving already more than twenty. I can't. Sorry. Try another day. Come a little early in the day. You'll catch me before I give it. If a person sees someone needs help. And you can help them, and you have the money, and you can give it to them, even if it means that tomorrow you might be one more thinking about how can I pay this bill? I don't know. I gave away the money yesterday. Yeah, but if you're helping someone because they're a piece of God, and the person is in need, and if they're in pain, God's in pain, because their pain is God's pain. How can you watch that pain going on? So therefore, you can't help yourself, and you take whatever you have, and you give it away. That's the point. It's not about, it's not about, you know, about, you know, being the, the right and being good. It's about a boundless connection to the one above. Hashem. When that's our, the same is also in prayer. You lose yourself in the prayer. You're not just saying the words and get done with it. You really tune into it. You feel so connected. Just want to. If in prayer and tzedakah and Torah, the service to Hashem is beyond the measure of what a requirement, because you're excited about the relationship, then you have that. Then 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 you're not at all within the spectrum of the system. The base then doesn't even hold your ledger. God is holding on to your ledger because He knows you're about Him. He's about you. You're about Him. You're into Him. You're not into some. You're not being religious. Being religious is, you know, I am perfectly religious. Being religious and, and, and scoring points, spiritual points, so that you will go and earn, earn yourself a nice place in the world to come. It's all thinking of self. And thinking of self, so it's fine. It's good. And if you score the right points, great for you. But you're, again... The person's based on that intention, then you're given over to those who count points. God doesn't count points. God is looking for the heart. And when Hashem sees that your heart is there, and how does he see it? Without any calculations. When, When he needs you, you're there for him. When he wants you, you're there for him. You love him. You're engaged. And even if Till now, maybe we weren't there so much. But at least now for the last couple of days before Rosh Hashanah, our Judaism stops being just to fulfill our obligations, but becomes completely about Hashem and our relationship with God. I am to my beloved and my beloved is to me. Then we take our ledger and we take our notes out of the courts. And Hashem himself is the one that looks. And when it's a private loan between you and him, God follows the law. 
Shemitah this year, Rosh Hashanah this year, clean slate. Nothing on it. You don't owe a thing. You can move ahead in life so light, so free, so unperturbed by all the past wrongdoings or deficiencies or lack of performance or whatever it is. It's all irrelevant. Because God has cleaned all the debt. And we are so free and so ready to start from a new beginning in a new place. So this is a very, very important. And again, we don't have this opportunity next year. We don't have the opportunity in two years from now. We didn't have the opportunity last year. It's only once every seven years at the conclusion of the Shemitah. So this is really priceless information. Think about it. Important points. Number, let me review the points. The points are number one. We are all in debt. Because God is the one that gives us all the blessings we have in life. And all those blessings are meant to be paid back. The way we need to pay it back is depending on whichever blessing we get. It's in that very area that we need to return, pay it back by fulfilling God's will in whichever area that he has given us the blessing. That's number two. Point number three, who is who can say that they've paid back? Who has not collected debt? Point number four. Shemitah, sabbatical, clears the debt. And what does it mean, the sabbatical year, the Shemitah year? It means when we live in a Shemitah consciousness, which means we live a little bit not enslaved to earthiness, a little less materialistic, more devoted towards spiritual things, then we're in the Shemitah zone, God forgives. But God can only forgive if it's a private loan. If a person sets themselves up in life to be part of the system, then they then, then their file is held by the courts. Question is, where is your file? Who's got your file? On whose computer is it going to pop up? Is it going to pop up in the in the court, or is it going to pop up in God's private private uh, private line? And how do we make sure that it goes into God's private line by us stepping out of the external systems, and by us becoming deeply engaged in a personal relationship with Hashem, which every single one of us can do. Because our heart really, at the core of our being, that's all we really want. Because generally, because of the, the distractions of life, hardships of life, the difficulties, and so on and so forth, we disconnect from our own inner heart, And even when we are doing the right thing, sometimes we go into this mode of just religiosity, of being, you know, I I want to, you know, be, live, because I'm a good person, and therefore I live a good, decent life. It's wonderful and good. But again, and it's lacking that personal inner connection, Tasha. And really, if you listen to my class I gave the past week, that's really what the Baal Shem Tov came, Hasidus, it came to connect you on a personal one-to-one level with God. So if we do that, and we go on a personal one-to-one level to, with Hashem, then our debts are in Hashem's hands, and we're forgiven everything. And of course we're given a good, blessed new year, all the blessings. And most of all, Hashem should wipe away all the debt from the entire world. The debt of the Jewish people, the debt of the entire world. And already 
allow the world to start with a debt-free existence. We should, after the hardships of the last couple of years, the COVID years, the this years, the definitely been very, very difficult. We should move into the, the ultimate blessed time, the time of the redemption, the complete redemption. May we see that already now, 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 speedily now.